I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed and I will declare your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his deeds and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name ever and ever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
no dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way is rough and steep, but golden fields lie out before me where God's sooner, but it took three years to make a friend on my court, and now I'm moving in two months, but so it is. And so I, I brought her a meal this past week um, when she came home from the hospital, and I sat in her living room watching her with this newborn baby like wrapped in a, in a burrito in her lap, sleeping that in incredible sleep of that one-week-old baby, three-day-old, four-day-old baby. You, you can see her her, you can see her just drinking in his sweet little, like, full cheeks, and you can see her drinking in his, um, his, his eyelids that are batting, opening a little bit and closing again, and, and the curve of his ear that's just like his daddy's ears, and the way that his eyes were shaped, and I'm just watching her as she's just, it's just overwhelming her. You could tell her heart was just about to burst out of her chest with this love and this wonderment at this little alien gift that she had just been given. And then her eyes trailed up to the TV. Her husband, Rodney, was watching cops, as he is prone to do, I've learned. And there, there's a man on the TV. And in that episode, there's this man all strung out on drugs on the side of the street. And he's stumbling around in a parking lot. And he, he's belligerent. And he's pitiful. And I watched her as she looked down at her little burrito in front of her and then back up at the TV at this man. And then she looked back down again and back up and she wondered aloud now, where, I wonder 
where life turned for him that led him to this place at this time and pitiful and, and belligerent and stumbling. And then, and then she says, I, I wonder where that guy's mama is. And she looks back down in her sweet sleeping baby in her lap and fear, you can tell, seizes up in her belly. That same fear that was born the moment that the doctor held the child and gave it over to her in an operating room, a consuming fear that said, this thing that I love so, so much, imagine all the ways I could lose it, all the w things that could go wrong throughout this child's life, all the things I could do wrong as a mother, how I could fail this thing. This child could end up wandering aimlessly in a parking lot, drunk without his mama. As the fear washed over her, she imagined pulling this little burrito child closer to her. I can see her do it. Everything starts to tighten up a little bit. She pulls the burrito closer to her chest. If she just holds on a little tighter, she could protect him from all the ways that the world would ravage this little burrito's life as, as though she could protect herself from watching the world ravish his life one day. It was amazing how quickly she was able to move from that moment of utter joy and, and complete satisfaction and wonderment to sheer panic. I've since discovered um, that there's a name for this. There's a name for this kind of moment. The one that has, been, that has marked many angst-ridden lives, and it's called foreboding joy. It's what happens when you're, when you're so full of love and joy and wonderment at your sleeping burrito boy that, that it, it's that feeling when you receive a call that you've gotten that long-awaited job that you know you're perfect for. It's when you fall in love for the first time after having felt like you could just never find the right person. And instead of basking in the goodness of that, of those moments, you immediately think, of everything that could go wrong, all the ways that this could just be fall right out of your fingertips. You immediately think of all the ways that joy can be dismantled and fractured and eradicated by broken people and broken bodies and, bro and a broken world that you can't control. Maybe, maybe it's a move of, perfect, of protection, a defense mechanism. Maybe it's a defense mechanism that if, if we could only anticipate all the pain in life, then maybe it won't hurt so much, this foreboding joy. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of the valedictorian of foreboding joy. While I have, I have lived a charmed life, I have no devastating losses in my story um, to speak of, no physical hardships. I see them on the horizon as inevitable. This is kind of who I am. And I find myself preemptively sad and afraid of what could happen down the road. I don't know if any of you, you all are like that. And, and for those of you who are like me, who are still waiting for, for the pain to descend, for, for um, yeah, whatever it to come my way, we, we know in the deepest part of ourselves that the question is not if, if suffering. The question is when suffering. When will, it, when will the bottom fall out for us? Will we fall through it and into the, the pit of despair? Or, or when the bottom drops out, will we somehow fall out of the arms of God? When, when the darkness of this fear washes over me, I find myself holding tighter to the things I can control. Hands clasped together, arms folded close, as if I can physically hold back the world from getting to me. And then I hold on to the things I know I'm good at. I hold on to those, 
places that make me feel good about myself. And yet, when I engage in this tightening up behavior, when I or you in this tightening behavior, we find that our hands clasp, nothing can get in, and I begin to die a little bit. The more that we hold on to the things that we love for fear that we will lose them, if you're anything like me, the more we find that our hands are so full that we can't receive anyone's affection, anyone's praise. Are you like me? Do you have difficulty receiving others' praise? This is um, a wearisome way to live your life. It is antithetical to the life that Jesus lived, and yet I find myself in it sometimes. Living into life abundant, as Jesus calls it, calls for us to unclench our fists, to open up our arms while realizing that life is indeed going to knock us down. But how do we do that? So I'm in this season of uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable growing and stretching and a season in which God is working on my clenched fists and wrapped tight arms. And it seems to me that I'm, I'm learning that the antidote to this feeling in my life the antidote to this posture of fear and my restlessness and my angst and, and my anxiety, the antidote is woven into the psalm that we read today. It's an antidote that seems too simple, and yet it's one of the most difficult things I have ever had to do. Praise continually. Praise in all things. Blessing God's name over and over and over and over again so that this habit, this discipline is so wrapped into my being that I can't help but notice God in all things. The good, the bad, the joyful, the heartbreaking, the ugly, the beautiful, the magnificent, the mundane. Psalm 145 is written in the style of an acrostic poem so that each line is written with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. alphabet. Some, they were very intentional. The psalmists are intentional people. <laughs> it's kind of like those poems that you used to write to your mom on Mother's Day. M is for merciful and O is for omnipresent. That's, that is what the psalmist is doing. The point of this form of the poem is comprehensiveness, thoroughness. The form provides the psalmist the opportunity to canvas their entire life, every moment, all of the reasons to praise God. And that word all is in this psalm over 17 times because of this, more than any other psalm you'll ever find. Everything, all creation, all experiences, all people call us to praise God. And this psalm is teaching us to orient ourselves towards praise towards the presence of God in every place, in every person, in everything that we're doing. And when this orientation begins to happen, the psalmist seems to be telling us that when praise wells up within us, it begins spilling out into the world, flowing from one generation to the next, from us to our children. Have you ever noticed miserable, awful children? Their parents are normally miserable, awful people. <laughs> it normally goes together. Praise that just overflows from one generation to the next. But if you're a person like me who struggles with praise, if it's, if it's more of a trickle for you, if it's not raining down from heaven, if it's just maybe even a drop for you, this, this idea of praise that pours forth like rain is intimidating and it seems exhausting to us. And so where in the world do we begin? Well, I'm in this season of trying to figure out 
myself and my ego and my and all the deflating that goes with it. And so I have learned there are a few things that have been helpful for me. The first is to slow down. If we're going to notice God in all things and places and people and circumstances, we've got to be still enough to take note of God. Otherwise, the moments go whizzing past us, right? Now, maybe that only means just taking a breath and saying, I'm here in this place at this time, but, but, but a recognition of the call to be right here where we are currently, not, not where we wish we were or some reframed, re-examined version of where we think we can get God off the hook if we're miserable currently, but truly where we are right now in our lives, the beauty and, and the, un, the unbearable all mixed in together, it seems to help in turning on that kind of faucet of praise, that slowing down and taking stock of where we are right now. And then the next thing that seems helpful is to get small. That, that by, for me, but by that I mean to notice the little things, the, the nuances, the color of the bark on the tree in front of, of Pete's coffee, the, the sounds of, of community and laughter that, that, that fill Wegmans, that the smell of, of, of Chris's beard, weird. <laughs> Where is God showing up between the lines that, are, that we're so willing to miss? There, there's this helpful practice given to us by our Jewish brothers and sisters because they are amazing at this, amazing at this. And they're called blessing prayers or, or um, rakaf is what they, what, what they call them. And these prayers that come to us from our Jewish brothers and sisters, they are prayers for everything everything. There, there are prayers for the blessing of wine. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine, we pray. There are prayers to be whispered when we see a beautiful sunset or a mountain range. There are prayers that we can offer in the face of, of typhoons that are both restoring the earth and devastating the earth all in one time. And there are prayers that can be offered um, when good news is received and prayers to be offered when bad news descends. And there are prayers for when you wake up in the morning and when you are on a journey and when you are put new clothes on. And there are even prayers for the amazing ways we can take food into our bodies and even the amazing ways we excrete that very food. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. The, Jew the Jewish people just pray for everything. If you want to slow down, if you want to get small, the practice of offering up mouthfuls of blessing throughout your day for each movement of the day will do that for you. But for me, these are not enough. These two steps have been okay, this slowing down and getting small, but they're not enough. Through, through these practices, God is taking my, my clenched fist and laced with kind of arthritic fear about the future and what's up ahead for me, and, and God's opening me up. And through opening me up, the third step for me has been writing these down. I don't know if this will work for you, but it has for me. I have a journal at home now, um, and I'm now up to, no, I'm not good at journaling. Let me say, I cannot write paragraphs. I'm horrible at blogging. I'm horrible at journaling. I will write one sermon once a week. That's all you're going to get from me. But I can do phrases. I can do phrases. And so I have a journal now that's now up to like number 636 of my prayers before God. And number one for Chandler, 
deciding to play in the middle of live stream videos at my house. Praise be to God. <laughs> Number 15, for, for a morning sunrise, sky blazed, orange rising, like, like as if it's blush on the face of the sky. Number 42, my grandma's homemade pimento cheese and crackers. These, these moments are easy for me to write down, and I keep this little notebook now with me where I just number 643. But the real challenge comes when faced with the moments that grate on my nerves and on my soul. The challenge comes when I'm faced with my own brokenness and sinfulness. The challenge comes in moments that break my heart. And I pick up my book, and I don't want to number that one, and I don't want to write that one down. These are the moments when the discipline of praise has to be held. And so I, I, I pick up my notebook, and, and in the moments when I would like to raise my clenched fist or my middle finger and say, God, where are you? I, I, the writing forces me to open up a little bit. In the moments that grate on my nerves and soul, um, like it normally has to do with Chandler uh, saying, yes, um, Chandler's my cat. So those moments, I say, Thank you, God, for Chandler puking next to my head on my pillow. <laughs> um, and the wonderful ways it brings me alive to know that he is now well. <laughs> Number 51, I, am, I, I start to just write things down that, that, that are my reflections on these experiences. I, Number 51 for me, I am never too gone from your grace, God, to ask for help. I really don't know why I wrote that down. I don't know what the circumstance was, but that day, I was far from God's grace, apparently. Number 107, God, for your mercy in releasing your children from pain and sickness, for the hope of resurrection, I wrote that in a hospital. The secret to joy, one writer says, is to keep seeking God where we doubt God is. The secret to joy, for me, seems to be in slowing down and getting small and gritting my teeth and opening my notebook and writing one more line of praise. But, but this work of giving thanks, of raising up praise, it's, it's not just about joy. It, it's not just about creating this firm foundation for when the bottom drops out in my life. Um, and if I had an office, I would tell you, if I had an office that you all could visit regularly, I'm, my door would always be open, except for when I would be pulling out this notebook. That would, that would be when you know that I was in need of a moment <laughs> was when I pulled out that notebook. But it's not just about joy. It's also praise is a way of learning about salvation itself. We know this because we're in the Christian season of Lent, right? The purpose of the season of Lent is in, in any season within uh, the Christian year is to help us follow and, and get to know and walk with Jesus over and over again every single year um, with Jesus towards through his life, towards his death, and to his resurrection. And so less than three weeks from now, less than three weeks from now, we will follow Jesus to the cross. And there is this lovely story about less than three weeks before the crucifixion of Jesus in, in Scripture. It is um, the story of, of Jesus passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he meets ten lepers on the way. And they cry out to Jesus in their number 646 prayer, have mercy on us, God. And Jesus sends them to the priest. And on their way to the priest, all 10 of them are healed. They are made clean. And nine of them go running, skipping away, excited, excited to be healed. But one, one returns to Jesus. The one comes back to offer praise. And Jesus says to him, 
get up and go, your faith has, creepy, (laughs) Jesus says, get up and go, your faith has made you well. But the word here, it's, it's different from what happens to all the rest of them. Made you well, you think, well, yes, they all have been healed. This word here, sozo, salvation, your faith has saved you. And it's not just you were healed, but because you, you came back to offer praise. You've been saved. Praise of God is somehow wrapped up in the fullness of our salvation. Now, maybe that's because praise teaches us that everything is a gift, that nothing is guaranteed to us, not even the next breath that comes out of our body. Maybe it's because praise teaches us to lean deep into God and and to give thanks for our lives, even when we know how they are going to turn out. Uh, Somehow, in the moment of praise, we die to ourselves. We unclench our fists, and we find that all All of the unpromised goodness that God has poured out on us is being poured out on on the world as well. And we start from that moment, we begin to walk out the door and greet a friend, or when we greet people we've never met before in this place right here, we begin praise all over again. We say, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, because you've given us new people sitting next to us that I've never met before in this space with whom I can encounter you. We, we, we praise here in this place when we gather, uh, when, when, when we pray the prayers that we've prayed for the centuries. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for you fill our mouths with the words of those who have come before us. Have you ever been so thankful for what we do here? We, we praise when we hear the words of Scripture proclaimed like we did this morning. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for your Scripture that was old, is somehow being made new for us today, that is nuts. We, we praise when we, we come to this table as well with our hands tightly clenched as we do so many weeks, and we pray, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for you have filled us up and you are sending us out to fill the world up. So today, when we take communion, I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, and Jason's going to lead us in the communion liturgy, so he's totally welcome to say later, don't do that because it'll be his. But I'm going to ask you all to do something today. When you take communion, as Jason is leading us, you will see us take um, postures like this when we lead communion. But I invite you today to take that posture as well when we take communion. I want you to take that posture the whole time that we are in the communion prayer, arms extended. Um, It's not because I'm asking you to be um, some version of, of Christianity that you might be uncomfortable with, or I'm trying to relate hands raising with praise as if that's what we need in order to praise. But I will say something. As your hands are extended for quite some time, you will begin to feel kind of a, uh, a pressure in your hands. You will begin to feel your arms start to get tired, and it's almost as if the praise is just kind of raining down. The goodness of God is filling you up, and you can't even barely barely hold on to it. You can barely keep it up. And so I invite you to take that posture today to feel that, to feel feel what it's like to be on number 773 of your praise to God for the week. The one more thing that you have to offer before God and do that with your bodies today. Another, another thing that we're going to do today when you take communion is we have this bowl of broken pieces. Um, during the season of Lent, we are going to be creating a cross together for our community. Um, the lovely Gina is going to do some mosaic things later. Um, but I invite you to take one today when you, re- when you receive communion. 
and there are Sharpies up here as well. Um, I, I would love for our, um, our praises and our broken places to be written on the backs of these as, so that when we take these pieces and put them together, when they all form this beautiful, beautiful cross together on Easter Sunday that we will reveal, we have our praises and our broken places all intermingled behind them. You won't, nobody will see them, but they'll be on the backside of them. And so take them and write your praises and your broken places today. But before we do that, I, um, I would like to invite up Melissa. Um, Melissa is, is a, I, I've real, just recently gotten to know Melissa, and she, she was a part of the congregation when Jason was here too. Uh, and she has recently kind of re, got reinvigorated and, come, and is coming regularly. And I, I, I really think you need to hear her story for the, the praise in the broken places. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Can everybody hear me? This is a little nerve-wracking, so be, please be patient with me. I am Melissa. Um, as a little girl, I grew up in Independence, Missouri. Does anybody know anything about Independence, Missouri? Yeah, Hilaire and Ken do. Yeah, so do you know what's there? Do you know what the big thing is that's in Independence, Missouri, besides Harry S. Truman? It's the home of the Reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints, now called the Community of Christ. And that was the religion of my mother's family, and it was very, very important to them. My grandfather was a deacon. Um, all of his um, brothers were elders. I mean, it was just, it was the cornerstone of our faith. And most of my, my grandparents lived in Lamoni, Iowa, which is the home of the university associated with that religion. So it was a very big thing. And I am the youngest of five. And somewhere along the line, my mother went back to work, and um, she was a OR nurse, and she worked over, you know, weird shifts over the weekends, whatever. But soon, we didn't go to church together anymore. And as a little bitty person, I went off and walked myself up to church. So that wasn't really very far. I was about 100 yards away from the world headquarters of RLDS. And, and the people who lived next door were descendants of Joseph Smith. I mean, it was, that's what, that's what we were. So anyway, I got myself up and went to church because it was fun there. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And so that began my kind of solo pursuit, my all-alone pursuit of church and God. And um, when I went to, I was about sixth grade, we moved to a little bitty town in southeast Missouri, and um, there wasn't an RLDS congregation in Popper Bluff. And so I was kind of, well, oh, gee golly, now what? And I started going to church with one of my friends, and I really, really liked it. And then as I got through high school, I went to youth groups where my friends were going, and they really big programs. And and while I was in high school, I mostly went to um, a Church of God church, and the youth program there was just really, really rocking. It was really neat. We got saved every week from God knows what we did, right? You know, we, uh, I don't know, we were really good kids, so what did we do? We, uh, I don't know, stole a pencil. I don't know what we did that was so bad that we had to get saved every week, but that was pretty much what it was. And I was really happy, and I was really fulfilled. And when I went off to college, I sought I saw it church and God on my college campus. I just always did. And it just was always, church had a magnetic pull for me. Uh, and I, I can't explain why me and nobody else in my family. It's just the way it is, okay? So then I got married. We went overseas. We came back. I had a child. Um, 
I put my, uh, I found a nice church for us in El Paso, Texas, and it was a big Baptist church, and it had a wonderful education program for my son. It had a great program for me. I did a lot of women's Bible studies. I mean, I was just absolutely flourishing. I just thought it was really great. Moved here, same thing. I found the same school for Caleb just right up the road here, and I went to that church for women's Bible studies, and then I uh, joined another Baptist church down the road, and it was really great, and I facilitated women's Bible studies. I was just always, always, always looking for Christ, and I, I was just really in my own. And then as things happen, and 9-11 happened, and the war happened, and my husband was recalled to active duty and um, went off to war and came back. Our marriage did not survive him coming back. And um, it was hard and painful, and I no longer felt that I belonged in church. I no longer felt that if I could not be what I said I was all those years, I couldn't be in church. If I could not be Christ-like and forgive my husband, who is supposed to be my closest person in the world, I did not belong in church. And so for years, I that magnetic pole was broken until one day <laughs> I got a postcard in the mail announcing Bluegrass Church at the school around the corner. So, um, and in those intervening years, I was a large consumer of that musical program we were talking about before church this morning, Stained Glass Bluegrass. And so when I saw this bluegrass postcard, I'm like, oh, I'm all in. And because this church was going to be in an elementary school, I felt less threatened. I felt like it would be okay and that I could come back and I could let that magnetic pole bring me back. Of course, we all know that was a bait and switch type technique. There's, you know, the bluegrass is gone, except I'm sure it's no surprise because Michelle knows this story that she's asking me to tell my story on the bluegrass day. So Jason, thank you very much. I see you back there hiding from me. Um, thank you very much for that because that brought me back. And I'm really, really happy to be here. And I'm looking forward to, through the years, you know, you guys finding what I can help you with and what gifts I might have to share here. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet. sing on that beautiful shore, the melodious song of the blessed, and our spirit shall sorrow no more, not a sigh for the blessing of rest, in the sweet, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Shall be on that.
beautiful Father above. We will offer the tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet, sweet night blood. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Yeah.